I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, Rick here from the Mobile Hunter Podcast, and I'm here to tell you about one of our sponsors, Sadie's LLC, Custom Ammunition and Gunworks. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads that have been putting down deer, waterfowl, and turkey all year long. The Saddie's Fatty, the turkey load that we use, can stop a bird dead in its tracks. Check them out at saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com. Or on Facebook at Saddie's LLC. And tell them the Mobile Hunter Podcast sent you. Welcome to the Mobile Hunter Podcast. Our mission is simple. We want to help you become a better hunter. We believe that mobility kills and efficiency will set you free. Welcome to the Mobile Hunter Podcast. I am Josh Luck and I will be your host for today. Uh, I am joined by a sultry voice that is familiar to all of our (laughs) listeners. Hey, Mr. Chris Leppert. Chris, how are you doing? What's up, man? <laughs> so we're changing things up a little bit. Um, I've never been the main host, so congratulations to me. Congratulations. Our podcast went to hell now. <laughs> Rick Rick gave up control. Yeah, Rick's, Rick's going to be very congrats. upset when he hears this. Yeah, he, he gets the real congrats. <laughs> so... Uh, what we're going to do for this episode um, earlier in the year, well, a handful of episodes ago, episode 159, Chris started a new series called Adventures of the Mobile Hunter. And we are going to finish that first installment of the series in this episode. So to kind of recap on what the series is about, um, these will be many series installments throughout the year. Um, they're going to be based around our out-of-state hunts. Um, kind of the the preparation, the execution, and then the learning aspect that goes into it. So if you want to go back to episode 159, you can hear Chris um, kind of inter- interviewing uh, Jacob Myers and Andrew Maxwell from the Southern Outdoors- Outdoorsman podcast in preparation for an Alabama hunt they did, um, kind of preparing for a Southern swamp buck. So we're going to do a recap of that hunt and then... Um, kind of go into Chris's takeaways, um, some learning points, things that he might have done differently. Um, really just trying to give you listeners kind of an insight of um, just some learning points that we take away from these hunts in order to prepare for the next one and to make, if we go back to one of these places, how we can make it better or improve upon it. So that's the plan. Heck yeah. 
<clears throat> so, Chris, do you want to give everyone kind of a, a quick recap of kind of where the hunt was, not specific location, but general area, uh, kind of time of the year, and um, kind of how everything played out? Yeah. So we were in Alabama. Uh, I'll, I'll say the, eh, we'll just say Alabama. Um, I don't don't want to give anybody spot away or anything. I don't want to tell anybody where to go to see no deer. (laughs) So (laughs) no, um, we were in Alabama. Uh, it was supposed to be the peak rut. Um, there we're there January 1st. Um, and I was there for a few days, three or four days, something like that. And, uh, dude, it was, it was different. It was cold, and it was actually my coldest campout of my life in Alafrican-Bama. Which not, is... Yeah, like not wild. in Wyoming or Nebraska or Colorado or Ohio or anywhere else in freaking... I mean, I'm not that far from the damn ocean, <laughs> and it is cold as hell. So um, <clears throat> we were... I would describe us as like swampy river bottom type terrain, I guess. Um, really, really a different scene from here in Ohio. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely something that you weren't used to hunting uh, going into that. And I, I know you did a lot of prep work uh, going into that hunt. I mean, you would tell Rick and I, you know, about all the e-scouting you were doing. Um, looking at different areas and then you were asking a ton of questions uh, from different guys that hunted that area including Jacob and Andrew and some other guys um, that were familiar with kind of that swampy kind of terrain and that Um, so kind of give us an idea of your thought process going into the hunt so you what was your idea or kind of your focus going into that because you had never been there you had e-scouted it and you got a lot of different advice from different people. So your first day there, what what kind of what were you targeting? What kind of habitat were you were you focusing on? My first day, um, so I actually got a late start. Um, my wife got me drunk on New Year's, and I slept in. I was going to wake up at like three a.m. or something crazy, and we stayed up till like one something. And I was like, "Well, that's not happening at all." Um, and she kept pumping drinks in me and I was like, dang it, man, Like I can't, like I'm having fun with my family and everything. So I didn't really get drunk, but, um, little tipsy or whatever, the drinks were flowing and, uh, I didn't want to stop. So I just said yes to the occasion and let it ride. But, uh, I didn't wake up until probably seven 30 in the morning and, um, <clears throat> I went ahead and had breakfast you know, made breakfast for the family and everything. It's New Year's Day. Um, and then I, I had already gotten the truck packed. So after that, then I, you know, went over my checklist, hit the road. And uh, with stops and everything, I ended up getting there somewhere around like 2 or 2.30. So I thought... You, oh, you actually made, you made some pretty good time. Yeah, uh, I made really really good time i was pretty jacked because 
originally I thought I left so late that I was basically only going to get to like drive around in glass or something like, you know, go for a ride in the kayak. I wasn't going to really make it far. And uh, I ended up choosing a spot, uh, of course, with water access that was, well, what I thought was fairly close, but, you know, we're, we're going to dive into the, this is the whole point of this podcast, by the way, guys, is essentially you're going to get to hear the BS that we go through on these out-of-state hunts that you don't know about, think about, etc. So um, I was pretty excited when I made it there by around 2.30 or so thought, okay, I've got enough time. I can get my stuff together, launch my kayak, and get to this closest spot and go back in there. And it's like a, I'd call it like a draw or whatever, like a big, it's like a big bay uh, in the river, inlet, whatever y'all call them. Um, And then a creek comes out into it, uh, you know, whatever you want to call that. Um, Some people kind of refer to it as like a slough or. Yeah. yeah, Okay. So that's, that's about a, okay. That's the perfect thing to call it a slough. Um, I feel like that's more of a Southern term. I, I think, uh, I'm not used to it still, but so I hit this slough and you're not going to kayak through it. There's deadfall everywhere. And, uh, there's places where it's super shallow and it's not like here where you can get out like in a Creek or a river or even, you know, on the bank of a lake, it is feet of mud. Um, it is, it is not something that you should take lightly, but we'll get into that part. So I beached my kayak. Uh, that was eye opening cause I had to stand up in my kayak. Thank God we got those new canoes. If I had my old one, I'd still be sitting there on the lake. Um, I had to stand up and push pole with my paddle across the mud <clears throat> and I tied off to a tree got my bow and pack and off I went and I basically just wanted to kind of do like a quick scout in and just try to find some kind of good sign and bust ass up a tree and hopefully you know make everybody laugh when I killed a buck like the first 90 (laughs) minutes of the hunt or something especially you know the way everybody describes it they're like oh we have deer everywhere there's too many deer we don't kill enough does and I'm like I'll shoot a doe night one. Like I'll do that, you know, get a trip, a deer down on the trip. And the whole time I'm thinking, you know, we're going to have like, we're going to need a buck pole for all the deer we're going to kill. There's so many deer down here. I I went into this hunt thinking it was like a, a high population ordeal. Um, so I got in and I think I made it like 80 yards from my kayak and I find this big scrape under a beech tree, on an old grassy logging road. And I'm like, Oh my God, here we go. And I followed scrapes all the way there to that inlet and, uh, really didn't find anything that screamed at me, but was kind of running out of time. And I thought, well, this is a pretty nice looking little area. It's how I'd describe, uh, I'd call it like an inside corner. Um, one part of the, the inlet wrapped around, And then right there where the slough came in. So I figured, you know, it almost made like a 90 degree turn. And I thought, got a couple scrapes right here. There's some thick cover just beyond this in the woods. This would be a hell of a place for a buck 
to cruise the edge of the water with the thermals pulling, you know, from the woods to the water mm-hmm. and catch him just scent checking. That's that's the name of my game is understanding how a buck's going to use his nose to cover ground efficiently looking for does, but also staying safe. And it was decently thick. And I thought, man, we we might be able to see something here. Didn't see a deer. I get back to my kayak. And as I tried to push the kayak into the, the water, because there was more weight on the back, it was kind of shoving the back end ever so slightly down into the mud. And every time I tried to push, it just got worse and worse. Kind of this, uh, similarly to the way the mud sucks your boot when you step in real deep mud or like if you're wading. Um, it was crazy. So I walked up and down the bank for a few minutes and found a place where a muskrat had dug a pretty good little, uh, tunnel and the ground was dug out, you know, in the water for a good ways. And I thought I'll be able to drag my kayak along the bank and put in here and have a chance. Cause I'm thinking at this point, we're going to have to pray for rain or something. Cause I, I don't know. Like I literally spent 30 minutes trying to get this damn kayak back in the lake. And I'm like, Holy it's, shit. It's, it's dark at this point, right? Oh, it's pitch black. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm the only person in the parking lot, by the way, that when I got there, that's the other thing I'm like pressure. There's so much pressure, all the pressure I get there and I'm the only human being there. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to be good. So good and alone (laughs) so i finally get this thing back in and the other thing that i ran into on my way in and then on my way out was all of the little vegetation the weeds whatever you want to call them that grow up from the bottom of the water uh those get cut there were like lily pads and different you know vegetation just hanging on to the motor as good as it could and it was super shallow um the majority of where i went you could you have the illusion that you could stand there what would really happen is you would sink down probably just around your mouth and nose or a little further and then you would just die slowly and you're not coming out like don't let your feet touch the ground there because it's going to suck your boots down and you are not coming out. So, and I'm dead. I'm, I know it's probably sounding funny. I'm serious as shit about that. Like it would be a hell of a way to die. Like you would never think of that. So I met, uh, Jacob Myers and Greg Maher. Uh, he's the, um, the owner of Meadow Creek mounts for those that don't know, really cool dude. Um, I met them at a nice little restaurant and we watched everyone in Alabama cry as the Alabama elephants, what is what are they, Crimson Tide? Um, for some reason, they're elephants. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, they ended up losing to Michigan. We ate dinner, all that thing. Everybody knows that. Um, we went back to camp. Jacob uh, didn't start a fire, basically. <laughs> Uh, tried like hell to get a fire going for night after night after night. And it really didn't happen until the second night I was there when we literally put a battery powered fan 
on it just to keep it lit. All the wood, uh, the wood was wet down there. Ugh. The wood was wet. Um, and how, how cold was it? Cold as shit. Uh, that night it got down to 29, I believe. And then the other two nights, I think I was there two more nights, maybe, maybe three. They were all in the mid twenties. Uh, it was like 24, 25 degrees. It was cold. And I mean, I kind of screwed up a little bit night one. I didn't wear a bunch of clothes to bed. So I got a zero degree sleeping bag, but I'm on an air mattress, which is a terrible thing to do. Well, I didn't sleep much that night. So night two, I wore my Huntworth heat boost bibs and coat, uh, beanie, gator, everything. Uh, I wore my puffy. I had sweatpants on underneath. I had my thick redhead socks. If y'all know, you know. Like Those are the best socks in the world if you want to warm your feet up. Um, and I slept in my zero-degree bag the rest of the time. And the rest of the time, I was toasty. I didn't have any problem at all. But it's still... I already struggle sleeping in that mummy bag. And then when you put all those clothes on, there's basically zero room. And um, I struggle with that a little bit, especially because I'm a stomach sleeper. So day two, um, I ended up targeting the same general area. And I went in, scouted, didn't really like what I was seeing at all. Um, ended up going way the hell back in there and this time i actually walked because i didn't want to get my kayak stuck in the mud again i was kind of they were talking about water levels rising and lowering and i'm like yeah well i'm not i'm not going to deal with that then we'll just lock the kayak up and we'll go <laughs> we'll walk um i think i ended up doing uh, somewhere in the five mile range, I walked back there, took the, the one stick and saddle setup, um, walked back, crossed slough after slough, you know, it winds way back in there and it, it really kind of, kind of gets a little skinnier as far as the public goes. And, um, I was in between a large, like, uh, I would call it like a duck hunting outfitter or something, a large lease where clearly they duck hunt. And then there was um, a place with beautiful grass on the other side, we'll say. And there were all kinds of like cane thickets and stuff in there, and but they weren't really big. And, and I also found some vegetation. It's very, very odd because vegetation just grows up and it's like two, two and a half feet high, pretty much just enough to where a deer can bed in it mm -hmm. and maybe be able to see out of it, you know, with their head perked up. So they'd be able to hide in there and you never know. Um, and I did jump a deer back up in there, or I, I at least saw it walking ahead of me. I've never saw it run or throw a flag up or anything. Um, and so as I scout up in there, um, I started finding some of those little 
like water oaks or whatever the not alls whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah. they're the they look like a pin oak but they are tiny as hell and there was a bunch of feed sign in there and i thought oh baby but i just didn't see anything that screamed at me yet so i kept pushing and i even i i was messaging andrew uh maxwell He's like, I'd push up in there closer to the private if I were you, you know, and I'm like, well, I got the same thought. So you just confirmed it. And uh, I got up in there pretty close and I found a pretty big track and I was like, all right, everybody's, you know, everybody that's credible that I talked to said, I'm looking for big tracks. Like, that's what I'm looking for. That's what gives me more confidence than a scrape or a feed sign or anything like that. So I thought, all right. And it looked relatively fresh and there were other tracks as well. So I shoot up a tree and I, I sat there. I took that one pretty damn serious. So I was like, man, this is, this might be the spot. Mm -hmm. And I kind of tried to use those slews as best I could to play my thermals and everything. And, uh, you know, pop some milkweed and everything and picked a tree. I, I think I probably took about an hour to pick a tree. And I got up there and I want to say it was probably a half hour before dark. And it was basically what was crazy. And, and I know this, but it's weird to think about. So this is kind of like a little draw. And when I say draw, like the elevation on each side is a few feet higher than the middle. Like it's not, you can't eat. I don't even know that you could see the elevation change. And, you know, directly behind me is, you know, the, the large body of water. And in front of me is private land, thick, you know, vegetation, everything, thick trees. As I'm sitting there, the thermals are pushing my scent up into the private. In that last half hour, 40 minutes, everything just reversed. Basically, when the trees went behind, or God, how much have you had to drink tonight, Chris? Too much water. Uh, when the, the, trees sun, are moving. the trees went behind the sun. So when the sun went behind the trees, um, you could just feel the switch. And it started to suck right out of there, back behind me to the water. And I'm like, oh my God, here we go. And then a few minutes later, I hear, and I, I got my bow and I am mother freaking trembling, dude. I'm freaking out like, here we go, baby. I don't care what you are. You're about to get popped. And I look down and it's a possum. <laughs> I'm like, you little mother freaker. So, and I never did. Never did see a deer. So at this point, I'm like, man, what what in the hell? And I get back to camp. And I talk to Greg and, you know, Greg's hunting standing ag, which is like basically the opposite of what I was told to hunt. Like, this isn't the Midwest. Uh, you're not going to find deer there, especially the good bucks, blah, blah, blah. And he's had like three or four opportunities at shooter bucks. And the whole time I'm like, well, what the hell? <laughs> and and I do want to note, there's a couple things that um, I think are worth mentioning here. So in my opinion, I almost think 
it was kind of rough on the deer for it to be that cold. In the Midwest, it's different because, um, you know, our deer have already been stressed from the rut and the deer have already dealt with pretty cold weather for a good bit of the fall, even though it's not, you know, 10 or 20 degrees, it's still in the 30s, 40s, whatever. So when it got that cold, I think it did something different. To the, like the thermals weren't the normal thermals. Therefore, the deer did not have their normal wind that they're using. Mm-hmm. And they also, I know that even here, a lot of times when deer have inconsistent weather, like they have consistent weather and then all of a sudden, you know, a front comes or something. I mean, I, I'd say you'd probably agree. Like they shut down. It's almost like you can't get them to move even on a cold front. And then after the front comes through, it's like, oh, it's safe to come out now. Like we can use our senses or, you know, whatever. And there they don't have to move. They have, they're not running out of food. There's still plenty of vegetation and they haven't been wrecked by cold weather all year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's <clears throat> not to get too far ahead. Cause I do want to go back and hit on this point later on after we finish the recap. But yeah, that's, that's definitely something I want to get into as far as a, a learning point and takeaway. But I agree based on what you said, I think it, it shut movement down because it was such a drastic swing from the norm. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, you're in the South, right. And it's usually a cold front. There is like, Oh, it's, upper thirties and the forties or something. And then that was getting into low mid twenties. So yeah, it was cold, man. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, continue. We'll, we're going to break that down a little bit uh, okay. after the recap. Yeah. So, uh, the next day, um, I ended up going to, uh, a completely, I actually drove around that morning. I drove around and just looked, at maps and and was trying i went and had chick-fil-a too that was like sinful uh <laughs> went and got chick-fil-a and chick-fil-a in the south yes the the best where it was born um so driving around eating chick-fil-a looking at maps and just trying to check some places out and it's you know it's a lo- very different there um lots of pines i'm not used to that and then they have these roads that just go into these WMAs and these public properties and you can kind of pull in a bunch of different spots. It is different. Now, the one thing I'll say though, that was nice, but also sucked was there are like logging roads that go all over these properties. So, you know, the access is super easy, which I hate. Now, it's nice, it's easy, but that allowed a dude to come sit 60 yards from me when I was about to set up. So I was like, okay, well, I'm out of here. So I walked I walked that property a bunch and uh, ended up going to a different part of the property and going down by the river, found some islands that were probably 70 or 80 yards across the water. And I ended up finding some more of those little acorns dropping. And I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to sit here where I can watch these islands. They had a bunch of tall grasses and lots of vegetation. And I thought, dear God, this, this just, I don't know, this looks good. 
So we'll sit here. I didn't have a whole lot of time before dark, and uh, that guy really kind of wrecked my plan. I was I couldn't believe that he was going to sit right there. He must have had some knowledge or something. I probably mm-hmm. should have stayed there. Um, but I was bow hunting, so I you know had I had a gun, it would have been different. But um, ended up not seeing a deer again. Uh, at that point, I was starting to get pretty super depressed about it, and I had one more day. Um, you know, I, I told the wife, you know, I kind of left it open-ended and was like, you know, I'll do three or four, you know, whatever. And I thought, man, it's, it's going to stay cold like this. Emery tried to get me to go to one of his spots and as bad as I wanted to, I also wanted to like figure some things out for myself and not take a pin that was dropped to me. Um, and so I ended up leaving the next morning and ended up going home and took it on the chin and uh, the the silver lining is I have a turkey tag and or like however many turkey tags you're allowed nice. in Alabama 17 turkey tags um so that's kind of cool but yeah uh so really it it was really tough it was cool to do a podcast with a bunch of the guys in camp uh that last night and um hang out with everybody I got to meet like the coolest thing ever. So got to meet some really cool dudes like Michael Pike. Uh, that dude is a killer. Um, got to meet Greg Maher, who's a really cool guy. And then I met miles peak and his brother, Trevor, who is actually a professional UFC fighter. And so like this dude walks into the house, Shane Parker had rented him and Talon Neal. Uh, and I'm like, there's no way. Is that, is that that guy? And he walks over and shakes my hand, introduces himself. And I'm like, holy shit, that's Trevor Peak. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so that's pretty neat. Uh, we'll have to have him on the podcast and talk deer hunting and punching people in the face. Yeah. Um, he's a cool guy though. So I would not, I would never in my life think, I mean, when I say professional, I'm talking like, as professional as professional gets like he, he's in a you know whatever weight class he is i don't know but because i don't watch the stuff generally even though when he fights i'm going to watch it now um but like it's not like the town hero kind of thing like he's a ufc mother freaker like khabib and you know connor and you know the other guys so it's really cool i, I would have thought that that guy wouldn't have been as humble as he is and he's just a regular dude like the rest of us super cool works his ass off too so kind of neat to meet that guy Mm -hmm. those camps on those out-of-state hunts are always i mean a lot of people want to go and kill but man just time with buddies in camp it just nothing else compares yeah getting getting to hang out with uh like jacob um myers that was pretty awesome. He's he's a good dude. Uh, loved hunting with him. That was my second camp with him. Actually, we did Tennessee together as well, and always always like spending time with him. He's a wealth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, Rick here from the Mobile Hunter Podcast, and I'm here to tell you about one of our sponsors, Saddies LLC, Custom Ammunition and Gunworks. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads that have been putting down deer, waterfowl, and turkey all year long. The Saddies Fatty, the turkey load that we use, can stop a bird dead in its tracks. Check them out at saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com. Or on Facebook at Saddies LLC and tell them the Mobile Hunter podcast sent you. So you broke the hunt down kind of day by day. That was, you said four days you were there? Uh, I don't know if it was three or four. Let's see. I want uh, three. Three. Okay. Three days. Um, but I want to kind of go back over and hit some points. Yeah. Uh, and I want to start with expectations. We'll kind of do like an expectations versus reality yeah uh, kind of scenario and then and then some learning points and then how you might change them uh, if you were to go back there again so you hit on a handful of expectations that you kind of had so going yeah. down there right you were kind of told that there's probably going to be quite a bit of pressure right so that kind of changed the way you probably e-scouted and we're looking at things um you were told that the deer population was fairly high. Um, so the expectation there was you're going to be in the deer essentially. Um, so one pressure two deer population. And then another one you had hit on uh, was kind of where to find some of the deer. So not necessarily like the ag, like you talked about, but these like cane thickets and areas like that, some thick vegetation, um, which also played into like your scouting and stuff. So, was there any other expectations you had going into this hunt that, that kind of, I guess, guided you on how you approached it? I didn't think it would be that cold. I mean, obviously I knew, you know, a couple days out once the, the weather forecast stabilized, but I did not think that it would be anywhere near that cold. And I, I prepared for it, but it's also, it's one of those things that's, tough so a we couldn't get a fire going to save our damn life so that kills you right there and b you're not escaping that like it's not like you went home and got in bed with your wife and turned the thermostat up to 68 or 70 or whatever and you know you the heat ran you out of your bed it's okay now when i come in from hunting I'm just going to be in the cold only. It's going to get colder. Um, so that that was a a fun expectation that wasn't met, but at the mm-hmm. same rate, it, it made it pretty tough for a multitude of reasons, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I was when you said how cold it was down there, I was like, 
Heck, it's colder down there than it is up here. It, it was. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, man. And I like, I kept here. It is wet down there. Like you get a a lot more dew. I mean, we're on a giant body of water for God's sake. So you know, duh. But like the tent was covered in ice the next morning from all the dew, mm. and then like the ground was significantly more wet and icy. Um, but like 24 degrees is 24 degrees. There's like, it's cold as shit. Like, especially again, I can't stress this enough. And only the guys that have done it know what I'm saying here. When you don't ever leave the, the cold, it's different. Like it it just gets tough. And then of, of course, you know, like I said, in my opinion, I think it, it hurt the deer movement a little bit. I could be full of it on that. That's just a theory because obviously, you know, some of the other guys were seeing deer. But mm-hmm. I just, man, with the places that I scouted and looked and everything, I just, I felt like I would at least see them or bump them or something. It was very weird. Maybe I just picked the wrong spot. So kind of going into that spot you picked, when you were getting... Uh, information and uh, just tidbits from other hunters and you develop those expectations you you obviously like to start with e-scouting when you're looking at a new area yep so with the expectation of you know there's deer population might be higher there's probably going to be quite a bit of pressure Um, how did that how did that guide your e-scouting because that that definitely affected it so what were there areas that you had written off, but after going, now that you know what you know, you wouldn't have written off? Or kind of go into that? So, I, I really wanted to try to escape pressure. And when I talked a little bit to Jacob about the spot that I had selected for day one, I really got excited because he told me how shallow it was and how the bigger boats, you know, you really couldn't get up in there. You had to have a kayak or something like that. Like you're and and once I went there, right? Like you're not, I don't know that you're taking a John boat where I was. Like it was super shallow and for a long ways. Yeah. Um, so I felt like with the amount of distance plus it being shallow, lots of vegetation growing up from the bottom and then Um, another little tidbit that he told me was that draw had had a tornado and had a bunch of blowdowns. And that was one of the other things that a lot of Southern guys I talked to talked about was that deer will bed using those blowdowns. That's their terrain break, if you will, and their cover and everything. They can bed with that, you know, to their back. Uh, it creates, you know, an open canopy and a lot of vegetation and, briars and everything have the ability to grow and i did find that back there and it's everything that you would think and that's where all the the best buck sign was but there just wasn't anything that screamed at me but i'm also kind of piecing some things together that i'll go ahead and say now so that i put them right i never found anything that jumped out at me and my theory behind that is because the deer are so pressured in the south. They're hunted. These deer were hunted for three and a half months before they ever got to their rut. Imagine 
imagine and keep in mind a lot of that is with a damn high-powered rifle and there's a lot of hunters down there so these deer are pressured and they have that long season and you know we've got four weeks of season or something five weeks of season mm -hmm. left in ohio imagine if our deer started to rut then like the testosterone levels are so much lower in my opinion that the buck sign that is laid down is not even close to what you see here in ohio illinois iowa kansas missouri kentucky indiana and so on i think you'd see better sign even in west virginia pennsylvania you know anywhere in the north it's just so much different because of all the pressure and then you're just getting to the rut and it's like damn man and and on top of that they claim there's a lot of does there i don't i don't know what their definition is of a lot i will say they have a lot more country to cover there where like here we can look at a you know a couple thousand acres and be like okay this is what they have and they're probably going to be pushed into there because anywhere on private's going to get pressure blah 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 and you can pretty much look at an area and say i'll find deer here i'll find deer here well there it's different because they have blowdowns cane thickets different places and evening one on my way into that draw there was a little island and i couldn't tell it was an island um because it was pretty close to shore and it looked like uh there was like vegetation blocking my view of the water basically mm, okay. well, what i didn't know is that's actually a peninsula and the water was up a little bit and so it made it an island well right away i spooked two deer off of that island so you know to, to kind of wrap up my thought i think that you know when you see the explosive rut activity we have here where deer are running everywhere all the stories i heard from guys that were seeing the bucks that they would just like kind of follow the does around they were just kind of with the does that's not how it works here <laughs> like they're they're trying to drive them into the mud like they they'll run them to death yeah. so so anyway that's my theory yeah so you had obviously thought of that like when you came back and reflected on everything yes. right yeah, uh, but I, I definitely agree to that point. I mean, from what we've seen around here in Ohio and Kentucky, personally, anytime I feel like I'm in an area with like higher pressure, I don't see as much sign. Yep. Um, I feel like they're kind of tucked back in some some security cover or places where it's hard for hunters to actually get to them or access. Um, and then in those scenarios, I'm seeing sign kind of on the outskirts yep. but i think that sign's more laid at like night and they're actually coming from maybe a couple hundred yards away and there's not a ton of sign there yeah um, but i feel like i find that in areas where pressure is a little bit higher um, so yeah i can only imagine going through months of pressure and then you have the rut even even with a quote-unquote high population like that still kind of changes how you might approach it absolutely and, and, yeah and knowing what you know now right you might uh what would you have done differently as far as that scenario goes knowing what you know now um with the amount of pressure that they got would you have 
change locations? Would you have dove into deeper, thicker cover, like getting back in there more? So there's two things that I wish I could go back and do. One was go back into those islands that I had showed you. There's a bunch of islands that kind of come together <clears throat> similar to what secondary ridges do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt pretty strongly. And then seeing those deer come off the island, I thought, ooh, man. So the other thing is I wish I would have not ignored the spots with ag. Um, that's where all the good deer were seen for the most part, uh, consistently. Um, I know Emery came and saw a lot of bucks day one, but he only hunted for like a day and a half or something and left. Mm -hmm. So, um, he, I mean, nobody killed anything. That's the thing. Like, that's the crit. Like I caught a little bit of crap, you know, for being the Yankee guy and (laughs) getting my ass whipped by the South. Uh, but I mean, nobody, the guys that live there didn't kill. I mean, it's, it's a tough hunt. And, and I think I, I do agree with them. It's, it's tough. Like it's there. It's just different, man. Like it's really tough to describe because you're at such a disadvantage when you don't have good sign to follow, when you don't, um, you know, have those deer, sort of squeezed into pockets and everything like kind of makes me appreciate pressure now the 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 thing is is i didn't i um i only ever saw the one hunter that's it and i have no idea what the hell that dude was thinking but because it's not like he couldn't see me we're in blaze orange you have to wear blaze orange because it's technically during the rifle season still yeah and so he sits 60 yards away and I'm like, Oh shit. Or really? Like, is this the pressure you're talking about? This guy, the captain dumb, dumb over here just follows people around. Like there's this whole damn WMA and you, you we're the only two human beings on it. It's like over a thousand acres. <laughs> He's at 60 yards from me. Like what the hell? So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I do different. I'd, I'd look at the ag, uh, I think there's some compounding factors there, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, obviously, the cold weather probably helped the situation, but more importantly, he did talk about how there was a lot of thick cover um, in the right places, like in some little sort of like draws, if you will, little gullies. Yeah. Um, and those deer used those, uh, you know, close to the water. So, um I just, I think that spot, when you have food, period, you have does. Mm-hmm. He, he had the does, and therefore he had the bucks. It's just. Yeah. And who's, you didn't say who he was? Greg Maher. Yeah. Okay. Meadow Creek Mount guy. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't, I made fun of him because he was giving me crap. And I was like, oh, yeah. I typed something up like, uh, hey guys, what do you think I should do uh, when I come down here? Oh, well, don't look at ag. Hey, where are you guys seeing all the bucks? In the ag. <laughs> oh, okay. You're right. Us Midwesterners have no idea what it's like. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> so it was fun, though, man. Those guys are a hoot. We had a blast. Um, it, it's a tough hunt. I think hunting in the South's just 
little tougher for you know various reasons. The, the yeah. I will say it wasn't as thick as I expected. Also, like even the cane thickets, you can walk right through them. And I thought, well, you're not doing this in Ohio in a honeysuckle thicket or a autumn olive thicket or anything. So it's it's definitely different. That's for sure. Yeah. And to go back real quick, when you said you would look at the ag. Like if you were to go back, you would definitely not ignore it. No, that's not at all. Yeah. That's including your e-scouting, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I would I would definitely be looking for the places that I could I mean, you can't really guarantee that there's ag planted there by e-scouting, but you can get a damn good idea by looking at historical maps and mm-hmm. you get a couple years in a row of, you know, clearly there's ag planted there. Well, pretty good chance that you're going to roll up to that spot and oh there it is so yeah um, in that case or in that scenario like i would look at spartan forge the different maps uh you can look at onyx too yeah um google maps or google earth um usually has some pretty good maps too and you can you can get a pretty good idea if it's going to be planted or not um yep so yeah so i wanted to hit on some other things um that first area you went to and when you were scouting, you said you stumbled upon some scrapes and then you actually went back to the same general area um, that second day. So did you go back to that second area because of that buck sign and stuff you you found, the, the scrapes in that? Yeah, basically my, my thought behind that was, um, you know, the area close to the water where I found those, it was kind of a pinch point. There was some pretty rocky, hilly terrain that was squeezing those deer in and I felt like that was being done at night. And I figured if I push back in, you know, back there to that slough where all the blowdowns are and everything, I thought that's probably where I'm going to get into them. Mm-hmm. And it was, that's the other thing too, man. I, I can't say this enough. It was like a kick in the nuts to the ego. Cause I like, I'm sitting there like, okay. And this is, this is easy. This is simple. <laughs> you know, like, okay, they're doing this at night. Clearly, you know, I'll push back in there. It's going to be thick. And what was funny is all the blowdowns were, I don't know, 50 yards. Like that section was 50 yards wide by 100-ish yards long. Like it wasn't much. It wasn't what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And then everything else was wide open, just just the most wide open that you could. I mean, picture a maple sapling thicket, basically, where you can just walk wherever for however long. And I kept yeah. walking. It was crazy. Hmm. Would you have. So earlier, towards the beginning of this podcast, you had said peak rut, but I think you meant more like peak activity. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Pete, uh, yeah, yeah. I, so, I need to specify that better because I got on them about that. So um, here it would be like in the Midwest in Ohio, that'd be like your end of October into yeah. early November. Yep. Um, which is where you get those scrapes and stuff really heating up. Like yep. End of October, like fresh scrapes or something that we really kind of key in on and hone in on, um, given given it's in the right area, right? Um, so it makes a lot of sense as to why you had, you know, when you were scouting down there, 
you found the scrapes that first day and you kind of set up in that area. So knowing what you know now, is there any other sign that you would target or hone in on or kind of create a different hierarchy level? So like, would you um, say one piece of sign you would weigh more than let's say like the, the scrapes you found or anything like that? Or would you, would you, if you went back in there, would you still look for those same things and maybe um, just in a different area? I would probably just try to find, I mean, it's so tough because I think I hunted there during a time that they just don't see much of with that cold front. Like it just mm. doesn't get that cold generally. And so, I mean, when I was talking to Jacob and Andrew, for those of you that remember that, uh, what was it? Episode 159 or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're talking about 55, 60 degree weather. You know, that's that's basking weather. <laughs> you know, that's like hoodie weather. You know, maybe take your puffy with you or something. Um, so I, it's really tough to say, but I think that I would look for ag because when you have a bunch of ag, you know, you have a bunch of food and I would target that ag and look for a crap load of doe tracks. And then hope, you know, if I found buck tracks, obviously, then I know I'm in the right spot. But regardless, I would just look for the place that held does. And I feel like that's ag. Like you're yeah. going to, they're not going to say no to free, easy food. And there was standing, I'm pretty sure it was standing beans mm. that he was hunting. And it's like, well, that doesn't get any more convenient. You're not going to out convenience standing beans like they're literally not being affected by weather <laughs> yeah and they're at head height already yeah standing grain in late season uh when it's cold yeah i'd say they'd have some does there right so i mean we know how it is so i mean the ladies are always wanting to eat and you know damn good and well where they are mm -hmm. Here, here's the boys so <laughs> So I do think um, after that second day when you kind of started driving around and looking around, I do think that's a really good thing to do when people are kind of like when you have those expectations and you spend a couple of days targeting areas where you expect to find deer and then you don't see deer and then you're like, oh, what do I do? I do think uh, driving around like that and just <clears throat> getting a lay of the land um, not just on like a WMA, but if you can like drive to a couple different ones in glass, I think that helps like quite a bit. Um, if you're in a spot where you're, you're not quite sure what to do, that is definitely something that I would do. And that's something that you did, Chris. Um, just kind of figure you can figure out where pressure is. I mean, if you can get an area where you can glass like those ag fields, right, you can see like, oh, there's does out here. Like, oh, there's there's a buck. Okay, there's. Let's go over there. That's at least where the deer activity is. If I'm not seeing deer activity where I was just scouting. So, yep. I think yeah. that, was, that was a good transition that you did towards the end there. I mean, granted, you only had like that one day left. But. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it, it's one of those things where, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And, you know, we always like my favorite saying, scouting sets you free. So I scouted all that area. I didn't find anything. And I had basically decided that I was not in the deer. Although I did jump a few on my way out that had appeared 
to come from private. Um, one or two of which I felt kind of strongly were bucks, but I, I didn't know. Um, but I just never like with all, with all the walking I did, I should have jumped way more deer than what happened. I mean, I popped the two off the Island day one and then I saw the other one. Like that's the deer that I saw other than walking out at night. So, um, I felt strongly that I wasn't in them. And so I figured, well, let's change it up then. And we'll go to a completely different spot altogether and we'll do some walk-in. And I did try to pick a place with ag, but I hadn't, I, I kind of failed myself by not coming up with a couple of really solid backup spots that are basically, uh, 180 degrees from my thought. I think that's probably my biggest learning point is to have a backup. That's basically the complete opposite of your thought. Um, which, you know, I'm looking at trying to find blowdowns and cane thickets and whatever that the deer are using to, um, find cover. And I should have, you know, at the end of the day, if you anywhere in the country, if you can find ag, you're going to find deer. I, Mm -hmm. I think, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever believe somebody when they tell me that deer aren't going to be an ag. Um, we see it out West. We see it up North. We now saw it in the Southeast. The Midwest is a no brainer, right? Um, anywhere you have even green grasses growing is phenomenal. So, yeah. Even if you're not seeing the deer in that ag, there should at least be tracks and sign to where you can, let's say they're hitting it at night. Well, you can at least backtrack that, that sign to where they're probably come coming from during the day. Yeah. That's kind of like a a starting point, if you will, or, or a point where if, if you don't know what else to do, you can, you can go to that and, and see what you can make of it. Yep. Um, so I think there's some really good takeaways from, from this hunt. Um, a lot of us, when we plan these out of state trips, right, we have these expectations and these goals and stuff. And the vast majority of the time, our expectations are just shattered and half the time yeah. aren't killing deer. Yep. All you see on social media are people usually just, they're going to show you the victories, right? Not, not necessarily the failures or, you know, the hardships or anything like that. But those, those happen more often than not, a lot more than success. Yeah, I feel like most people aren't very honest about it. And, I mean, we've been to Nebraska together. And the cool part is, is like you and John actually had some opportunities out there. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I think anywhere you go, I don't care if it's Iowa. I really don't. Um, if you come back with a solid deer, that's pretty good. Like, I can't tell you how many times I have even had opportunities to kill does and stuff. Like, I've actually had more opportunities to kill mule deer does while elk hunting than I have to kill any does while out of state hunting. It's it's very, very difficult to just get on them, especially if you're not hunting during the rut or, you know, what, I mean, I don't know that I would really stack the southern rut with ours though like that that's still it's a little better (laughs) yeah so it's definitely better um but from your hunt i definitely think 
like what you said is um, as far as having a backup plan that's really good for these out-of-state trips because you're, you're going to go into them expecting one thing and then more often than not it's going to just get blown up and so you're going to instead of scrambling trying to find something to do or something that'll work already have those steps and plans kind of in place and you can do that with like your e-scouting coming up with backup plans and different things like that so i think I think a, a plan A, B, C, even a, a plan D, right? Those are good things to have. And and like you said, like a, a complete 180 to your thought process, right? That's good to have too. Let's say your A and B plan are, are tactics geared towards one method of, of hunting, right? Well, maybe your C and D is focusing on different tactics and different terrain and stuff. Um, that way, if you're not seeing any deer, you're like, well, let me try the opposite of what I'm doing and Right. Sometimes that that works out very well. Yep. That's the other thing that I kind of reflected on is like the place I was. I was so excited because I was the only person there. And at the end of the trip, I was like, I think I know why I was the only person there. (laughs) There's no deer. Um, But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you can probably focus on different things such as like, Okay, I'm I'm hunting, you know, the upper third of the hills and I'm not seeing anything. Let's go look in the bottoms. And that could be dictated by thermals and wind, uh, food, pressure. I mean, so many things could factor in. But generally, if what you're doing isn't working and you're not in the deer, literally just night and day it. Like 180 degrees from what you're doing. And it's pretty likely that you're probably going to get into them. But there again. Sometimes you just don't. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've been there all too often. Um, that's what that's what out-of-state hunting actually is, at least for me. I I pulled a piebald buck out of my ass on opening day 2019 in Kentucky, and then after that, uh, I really haven't, you know, on like an out-of-state camp, like a trip, not going to Kentucky or Indiana, um, I really haven't done anything since then so other than my pronghorn which that was easy as hell um <laughs> if you ever want something easy wyoming pronghorn you heard it here first it's never with, been said with a rifle with a rifle yeah uh honestly uh i'd like to back up and disagree with that statement <laughs> i was in nebraska during uh let's see the middle of oct no not the middle of october uh, the first of September and we drove over to our unit and they were everywhere all over the road. I mean, I feel like I could have bow killed one and we got on them pretty quick with the rifle, but that was the second rifle season. So there'd already been another one. And so, and I could have bow killed multiple pronghorn during that trip when we hunted with a rifle. It was super cool. That was a mountainous place, though, where you could use terrain pretty easily. Yeah. Let's let's preface the bow shot for people because you're a little bit better of a bow shot than some. Uh, maybe. Um, yeah, so if you're hunting... <laughs> <laughs> We're talking like a 70-yard shot or like a 20 no, no, to 30? No, 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 no. I was like there was one I could have killed with a damn recurve. Um, we walked right up on them and I have no idea because these things have eyes. Like even when you 
when you take the hide off, they're huge. And you look at their eye sockets, it's freaking insane the way they're built. And they're actually, I don't think they're nocturnal. I don't think they move much at night because they can't see. They don't. Um, and so during the day, they the, like they really don't bed down much. They just they move all day, which makes it even funner, more fun, whatever, more funner. But um, I was probably seven yards from one. Uh, we called him Nubbins. He was tiny. I was never seven yards from a buck. I will say that, like a a buck that I would shoot. I I passed up a one-horned buck he had a tiny horn too i'm like damn it like i i literally duck walked all the way up this hill in a quick fashion and then i i just like kind of like we do sneaking for turkeys i just pop my head up a little bit and then duck walk a few feet and then pop my head up and i was like 30 35 yards from one and uh i brought the old seven mag up put the crosshairs on him and was watching his head and was like, damn it, man. There's like a, oh, nearly a $700 tag because we did the special draw. I was like, I'm not shooting you. Like, we've got plenty of these little bastards around here. I'm not shooting you. I'll shoot a doe before I shoot you. So, yeah. Uh, I think, like, I made one more play on some other pronghorn. And then the next one is the one I shot from my butt at 325 i've never never killed anything with a high-powered rifle in my life and was like i was like matt how far he's like 325 and i'm like dude that's like a mile away man (laughs) are you sure are you sure so it was fun though Hmm. so back to your alabama hunt i'm just kind of want to wrap it up with any other takeaways? Um, we had already said, like, coming up with backup plans. I think another good thing uh, to hit on is just keeping an open mind. Yeah. Uh, whenever you're going on out-of-state trips, uh, even an open mind as far as tactics go, right? Because you, it's it's good to take advice from people, and right? Because especially people that are that live there and hunt the terrain and are know kind of have a general idea of what the deer do in that area. It's good to get that advice, but I also think that you need to keep an open mind about your tactics. Cause if you're, if you start doing some of that, you're like, well, this, this isn't working. Like you can always revert back. Like Chris, if you would have reverted back to the tactics you use around here in the Midwest, like you probably would have been on deer more than likely. Yeah. That's what, that's kind of like what really, you know, rascal flats, what hurts the most. Right. Like (laughs) it, I just, I kept thinking like, damn it man like i really really tried to just get out of my own way and hunt a different way and all that and then at the end of the day i could have went to some standing beans or corn and probably found deer <laughs> yeah yes yeah, so just keeping an open mind and the vice versa goes for that like if you go in an area like oh i'm just gonna use the same tactics that i use back home like it, this should work and it's not working right then if you're getting advice from people that are around there, then try try those tactics out and see if they work. Yep. You just really got to keep an open mind. Um, I I always question when individuals say that deer are always doing this or that like they basically just they there's no gray area with it. It's like black and white. It's all they do this. Like always I, and never. 
Yep. I question that because there is there are no always or nevers when it comes to wild animals. Yeah. Um, you kind of have to do what they're, I mean, they'll tell you, like if you just pay attention and watch what they're doing, they'll tell you what they're going to do. Um, but a lot of those people you got to put in context, like, well, are you hunting different areas, different terrains? Like, you know, you have to put it, that in context and just keep an open mind about things. Yes, sir. Um, so Chris, are there any other points you feel like we should head on from this hunt? Um, no, I, I think we covered them all. Uh, and again, just super grateful to have a, have a wife that puts up with me and I could just disappear on her vacation for three or four days to shoot down to Alabama and, you know, hunt some deer down there. Um, and grateful that I was invited to that camp. It was still a really, really fun time. Oh, yeah. Uh, the best hot dogs in the world. Oh, they literally ranked. Uh, they brought some venison hot dogs stuffed with jalapenos and cheese from this place called Weaver's Meat Processing. Ermergerd. <laughs> Those are the best damn hot dogs I've ever had. I can taste them right now. I'm getting like, I'm salivating. They're they're freaking amazing. Um. That was kind of the the highlight of the camp, though, was hanging out with everybody, eating the good food. I brought Sloppy Joe's, so um, they ate the shit out of that. I mean, that's a good recipe as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I took one on the chin is what it is. It, it happens, you know, a lot, actually, way more than people admit. Um, and I'm excited to go back again and try it again. This time, I'm, I'm hoping... I can maybe make it down for like a an October hunt or something where I can set up some cameras and stuff and just maybe come back in January with some intel perhaps. Yeah. But um heck, even if well if you go down turkey hunting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You might be able to drop some cams and gather some data as yep. long as cams are still, you know, legal down there. Right. Uh the only other thing I got to say, though, is I still had fun, and I would recommend, you know, you kind of need a little ass whipping, too. Like, that'll probably help me going into mm-hmm. this upcoming year because it kind of pissed me off. And you need a little chip on your shoulder to motivate you. And also, um, you know, in my situation, it's kind of easy to get a head on your shoulders that starts to inflate when you kill a deer like that. So it kind of helps to get knocked down a peg. Um, but at the end of the day, make plans with your friends to go hunting somewhere, challenge yourself or, or pick a place that you think is easy and watch how easy it is. I mean, I, I hear people give shit to like the hunting public all the time because they're only killing X, Y, Z deer. Right. Like, do you know, how tough it is to even get on deer, especially like not just in the Midwest. Yeah. Like if you want to hold some people accountable for like, you know, Oh, you're in Iowa, you live in Iowa, you know, whatever, that's what you got to do, do it. But go get on deer in any state and then come tell me how easy it is. It's tough. Yeah. Go put a buck down in five days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. And and half the time, I don't even know if they're there for five freaking days, yeah. you know, 
like try try to get on deer in in three to five days and get a a solid 110 inch deer down let's let's see how many people can do that like it's not easy yeah okay well i feel like that's a good end to this first installment of the series lots of takeaways lots of learning points that hopefully our listeners can utilize when planning you know their next out-of-state trip um we might do one of these chris are you thinking we may do one of these little mini series installments during like turkey season absolutely we're going to do that because me and you have some plans and i'll be hunting with others and i'm sure you will too and I think those turkey season is one of those times where you can kind of be a little less serious. I know we're still extremely serious, but it's not like bucks. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Um, we still have a good time and cut yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. And, and one of my favorite hunting memories still is sleeping in the parking lot with you right here. We were <laughs> like, we do not get beat ever. Like, so yeah, I, I can see us doing a few of these for, for Turkey season for sure. Yep. So that'll probably be the next installment of the mini series. And then, uh, anatomy of the mess is still going to be going on, uh, with Rick. Rick was actually interviewing a guest speaker, uh, tonight as well. Um, then that should be a pretty good episode for everyone to listen to. So, yeah. Uh, with that, we'll wrap this up. I have been your host, Josh Luck, and I have been joined tonight by, Chris Leppert. And if you guys like what you hear, um, give us a five-star review on, you know, Spotify, Apple, whatever you listen on. It helps us out a ton. Feel free to follow the Facebook pages, you know, the Mobile Hunter podcast, the Mobile Hunter Facebook group. Um, it, it helps us a lot and we greatly appreciate it, guys. Um, but we're going to wrap this up. Chris, you have a good night. You too, man. See you guys. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. The best way you can support the podcast is by sharing online and with your buddies at Deer Camp. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram and leave us a five-star review.